had a little girl come up to me and said to me, I invited a family tomorrow who I think is going to come for the very first time, so please be good. I said, sweetheart, I'll do my best. No, seriously, I need you to be really good tomorrow. I, please be very good tomorrow. They're coming for the very first time. Will you please be good? I said, honey, I will do my best. I try every Sunday to do my best. She said, you usually do pretty good. So I'm just asking you to do really good tomorrow. So I'm hoping they're here, and I'm really hoping I do as best as I possibly can. In your bulletin is sermon notes from last Sunday morning. When I looked at this section of Scripture in Acts 19, I'm not going to read the whole piece this morning. There's a lot of information in there, and I realized it was one of those sections of Scripture that you couldn't unpack in a given Sunday. And so I really sensed that God wanted me to open it up beyond that. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been here in this section of Scripture, where Paul is dealing with a lot of uncertainties of life. When I looked at the sermon last Sunday morning, and I wrote these words at the beginning, that said, I know you know this, but life is filled with amazing moments. Also some average everyday moments and some deep valley moments. Sometimes things go incredibly well and sometimes the bottom falls out. What do we wrestle with at times is how to maintain balance in the midst of all the ups and downs. Because as sure as I'm standing here, the pendulum of life is going to swing from one side to the other. What I didn't know when I wrote those words is that I would be the sermon illustration for the day. Tuesday morning, I get up to leave for Denver, Colorado, to fly into Colorado Springs for a board of directors meeting of the CNMA. My wife had already left on Monday to go to Ohio to take care of our grandchildren. Uh, one is a special needs child, and Graham is one of the best ones to be able to handle the feeding tube and all that goes with that. When I left for the airport at 6.30 in the morning, I noticed that my temperature gauge on my trucks had 18 below. It was actually so stunning to me that I took a picture of it. Got to the airport, and I said to my daughter, Rach, would you mind going to the house this afternoon just to check on the cats and everything because I know it's going to be pretty cold. She called me when I was sitting in the Colorado Springs airport or uh, Colorado Springs hotel room and said, Dad, where's the shutoff valve for the house? I said, for what? She said, the water. There is water everywhere. And so I told her where the shutoff valve was, and I said, how bad is it? Bad. It's really bad. I said, how bad? Bad. It's really, really bad. And she described it, tried to describe it to me. And I got a flight out a day early and come home. My wife had already come home from Ohio uh, a little bit earlier from that, and she tried to explain it to me over the phone. And then I walked in at 1 o'clock in the morning, and it was undescribable. And when you look at the damage of what water does to your home when no one knows how long it has run, but for hours on end, and you realize that uh, your man cave has been flooded, and your office has been flooded, and a spare room has been flooded, and ceiling tiles hanging down, light fixtures are hanging down, and every suit I own is gone because it's somewhere at a cleaner's. Hutchinson's going to love this whole deal. Uh, this is the only one I've got, so I thought, I'm going to wear this this morning because I'm not letting it go until I know I got another one back. And a 15 cubic yard dumpster is in your yard to throw all your stuff away. We had anticipated downsizing, just not quite so quick or being forced to do it. You realize that the pendulum of life does swing one way or the other, and you never really know from day to day or week to week what's going to happen. God blessed us with amazing friends and some people that pitched in even while we were gone, trying to get back and trying to fly home and trying to get out of another place when you realize you don't know exactly what your place is going to look like. But to know that God has blessed you in amazing ways with some incredible friends is unbelievable. As sure as I'm standing here, as I said last Sunday morning, the pendulum of life is going to swing one way or the other. Sometimes things are going to go amazingly well and sometimes it won't. And what we find that we try to do is figure out if we can somehow discover if I did the right things, will it all go this way? And if I did something wrong, am I going to have to deal with that? Or is that just part of life? 
Sometimes we try to manipulate God. Sometimes we're not really careful. We see him as a vending machine. If I put the right things in, if I have devotions right, if I read the right section of scripture, if I pray long enough, if I do all those things, if I do all the disciplines and I put in the right amount of change, will the right things come out? Will it go well? Will what I put in come out? And will that be okay? And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves trying to manipulate God by doing all of those things just so that nothing bad happens to us. Now you do know that bad choices and bad decisions have bad consequences. Sometimes bad things happen to us because we made some really dumb choices and some really dumb decisions. And the sad part of what I have found in all of my ministry life and all of my ministry experience is that for some people, one bad decision destroyed their life. And that one decision Sometimes as a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 17 or a 22-year-old, you're thinking, well, it's just one night, one thing, one, one time, one moment. How bad can it be? And in all of my years of experience, the one thing I've wanted to say on a number of occasions with regard to this, just let me tell you, out of love and tenderness and compassion, the best that I know how, that one decision can stay with you the rest of your life. And you'll have to carry the burden of that decision that at the moment may have not seemed that big of a deal and wasn't that big of a problem has now followed me the rest of my life. So I'm not saying it to be mean or nasty or to point fingers. I'm just saying out of love and tenderness, every single decision has consequences. And bad decisions can have enormous consequences that literally can change your life. I know from whence I speak, I have family and mass people that I've dealt with all of my life that are now having 30 years from now to deal with a bad decision on one night in one situation that didn't seem that big a deal that has followed them forever. Life goes up and down. It's part of life. Good things happen, bad things happen. Good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. The list is endless and all of that goes on. And we don't ever try to make sure that we do the right things and get them all lined up right so that God will bless us and not let anything bad happen to us. Because it's a part of life and I'm going to share some things this morning to hold on to in the midst of all of that. But I am saying out of love and tenderness, be very, very aware of the fact that decisions have enormous consequences. And so clearly think through what I'm about to do, and the impact of this. And at 14 or 15 or 17, you may not think of that at that particular moment, but hopefully you have some people in your life and surround yourself with some people in life who'll say, hey, wait, well, let, let's hold off on this one for a minute. Let's think through this. Let's stop and process. Life is filled with all those ups and downs. And what I did a couple of weeks ago is took this section of Scripture that we're in, in chapter 19, and just unpacked it from there. Now, there are tons of pieces of Scripture that I could have shared in this particular context, but I'm in a series in the book of Acts, and I wanted to stay true to that text. And so I began to look at Paul's life. And everywhere Paul goes, he shares the truth. He said, I have found the truth that's changed my life, and I want to share that with you. And everywhere he goes, he tells about Jesus. He knows that's the answer to life. And so everywhere he goes, he tells a story about Christ and the story of the gospel. I hope that's true of you. That people know by the way you live or the lifestyle that you give, or you just say, hey, look, I want to share with you what I found in life. This really works. God is really true. God is really the answer. God is really all you'll ever need in life. 
So let me share that with you. And he did everywhere he went. A lot of people responded to that. Some didn't. And what Paul found out in this section of scripture that with that, the sharing of the gospel or living your Christian life, there are a lot of people who are going to embrace it and many who won't. And there are a lot of wonderful things that are going to happen. Sometimes you're going to end up in jail. And in the middle of it all, Paul shares with us some things that I think that are good and valuable for us to hold on to so that when we're in those moments of time, we have some anchor points in our life. The one thing that I pointed out last Sunday morning was those daily moments with God. In chapter 19, verse 9, as Paul began to share, it said, you know, a lot of them refuse to believe. And a lot of the people that you share truth with and Jesus with aren't going to embrace that. But it said a lot of them did. And as a matter of fact, what Paul did is he took them and spent some daily time with them. And the one point I want to point out, because I've never had that opportunity and may not till I'm done with ministry with you. So I want to share this moment in time. That particular point when it says daily in the word is one of those anchor points of your life. One of those things that you need to hold on to daily in the word. Whatever your schedule may be, if you're crazy busy and you've got a lot of things going on and maybe you only have that one quiet moment of time, my encouragement to you is to spend it with God. Now, maybe you're pretty disciplined and you know when you can have it and where it fits. And others of you who work night shift and you wonder, how in the world am I ever going to stay awake? And do it whenever you are awake. Do it at noon. Do it whatever works best for you. But that carved out moment or five moments or 15 minutes or whatever time frame works best for you where I'm just stopping and concentrating on God. And what I find fascinating about that is that the God of the universe loves that. I mean, we're not just talking family and friends. You know, your kids don't even want to hear from you that often. Yeah, I heard you. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. And, and they kind of tune you out. And we husbands, we're classic at that, right? I mean, we, we, all we want to know, I've said this before to my wife and to other women. All we want to know is the what. We don't need all the whys. We don't need all the details. Because most of the time, we're going to forget them anyhow. So just tell us the what. When am I to show up and where? Not all the details, and, and we tune that out. So we don't even listen well to each other. Our kids don't always listen well to us. But the God of the universe wants to spend time with us. God! I love Isaiah. I can't remember where the verse is. Where, where it says, God bends his ear over heaven to hear his children pray. Isn't that awesome? Is this on? Isn't that awesome that the God of the universe bends his ear over? Hey, shh, shh, heaven, shh. One of the kids is talking. He wants to hear us. So be able to know that daily, every moment I have, and whenever those quiet moments are, that when I stop and when I concentrate, all of the universe from God's vantage point stop so that he could hear me. I just think that who wouldn't want to take advantage of that? That the God of the universe wants to spend time with us. Life is filled with ups and downs and unpredictabilities. One of the anchor points in life is some daily quiet moments with God. When I first became a believer when I was 12 and later continued to commit my life to Christ, came into high school, I mean, it's, it's as old as time. And the first thing they always tell you when you come to faith in Christ is make sure you have your daily quiet time and your devotions. That never changes. 
No matter what changes in life and ministry and all the bells and whistles that come with all the changes that go with that, the one thing that doesn't change, that's still a foundation point in life, is an anchor in the middle of all of my unpredictability. Paul said, or James said, look, you guys are shifting back and forth with every wind of doctrine. You're buying into everything. You have no anchor point in your life. And I'm telling you, life's going to push you around. So find those anchor moments that anchor that you can hold on to in the midst of all the ups and downs. The second thing that we point out here in this section of Scripture, and there's all the information that I share with you right at the very end about the enemy is in your sermon notes this morning. But it's just a constant reminder in this section of Scripture when Paul is facing the demonic and people that are demon-possessed is that thought that I need you to know clearly that there is an enemy out after us who wants to destroy us. And so to understand clearly how to be able to stay balanced in an unbalanced world, I've got to recognize the power of the enemy. I've got to recognize what he does. And I've got to make sure that I take advantage of all the resources that God has given me because it's obvious and evident. Now, when you travel overseas like some of our people did in the Dominican Republic and other places around the world, and you talk about the demonic and demon oppressed and all of those things, are going, oh, yeah, we see it all the time. In our Western culture, in our way of life, we don't always think about it. But I have some notes in your bulletin that said over 100 times in Scripture, the demonic or demonic influence is shared. 17 times, Jesus cast out demons. Almost every time you see a healing of some kind mentioned in the New Testament between Paul and Peter and Jesus, it was a casting out of a demonic somewhere along the way. Demon influence and the demonic and the strongholds of the enemy and the power that he has against us are enormous. Outside of the God of the universe, you and I pale in comparison to what he does. So when you look at this section of scripture, when they thought, well, we could manipulate God, we could do the same thing they're doing, and they tried to cast things out and do all those things in the name of Jesus, the demon said, look, Jesus we know, Peter we don't, and they beat the daylights out of them. You don't understand the resources you have in God and all that he's made available, and you try to take on the enemy on your own, you're toast. He will destroy you. Now, there are a lot of notes in there about how it happens, but let me give you as clear as I know how. If there's an area of your life when you come to faith in Christ, obviously even before you have faith in Christ, somebody's in control of your life. You think you are, most likely in a lot of areas, the enemy is. When you come to faith in Christ, you invite him in. You submit your will to Jesus. There's only two answers in life, heaven or hell, and Christ is the answer to heaven. I want to go there when I die, so I accept Jesus as my Savior. And you invite him in. And you submit your will to Christ. The best way I can somehow illustrate it in this particular context is you invite him into the living room. You, you kind of open up your living room. I want him to live there. I want him to be a, a part of my spiritual home. And so I invite him into the living room. Jesus is coming. Where's the Bible? Anybody know where the Bible is? Jesus is coming. I want to make sure I have a Bible laying around. Jesus is coming to our living room. So we, we, we'll have a Bible out. We'll have a Bible verse. And we'll talk to Jesus every once in a while. And we invite him into the living room. Jesus doesn't just want to be in your living room. He wants to be in the whole house. He wants access to all of you. So he said, how be if I'm in the kitchen when you wake up in the morning? How be if I'm in your study when nobody else is watching? How be if I look over your shoulder when you're on a computer at night when nobody else is in your house? Why don't you just give me access to the whole of you and every area of your house? Now, if there's areas of your life where you have said... Hey, Jesus, you can come to the kitchen. You can come to the living room. You can even come to the den once in a while. But oh my, all of me? 
If you've not given him access to all of you, you've given access to part of you to something else. Now, Peter says it may be the flesh. James says the same thing. It may be that thing of you that just haven't yielded yet. And sometimes you've given access to the enemy. You want to know how the enemy manipulates? He allows or we allow him access into some area of our life. Paul uses the example of anger. We don't let the sun go down upon our wrath. We don't deal with it. And it's there. It may be that secret thought. It may be that secret sin that nobody else knows about. It may be that thing that I look at just when I need it, when no one else is watching. It may be that drink I take. The list is endless of those areas of my life that I hold on to that I don't want him to have. And I don't even want to talk to him about it. And the enemy says, awesome. I know where you're weak. A lot of list in that bulletin notes this morning, but he says, I know where your weakness is. I know where the chink in your armor is. I know that area of your life that you've left unprotected and that area of your life you've left unyielded to the Spirit of God. And he comes in. He kind of gets at you from that area. And you allow it to remain. You know the Spirit of God is saying to you, you've got to deal with this. You allow it to remain, and he builds a stronghold. And he builds it higher and higher and larger and larger. And every time you think you're taking two or three steps forward, and then you think you've got it made, he comes at you from that stronghold, that fortress, Scripture says, and he attacks you from that area, and all of a sudden you're back to where you started. Paul said, look, you need to understand that we're facing an enemy. Not are we just facing the unpredictability of life. We're facing an enemy who's out to kill us. So for Pete's sake, don't give him reason and don't give him access. Yield all of yourself, all of those areas. Invite him into every room of your house so that he can have access to it all. A couple of things that Paul said when he's describing this event in Ephesians chapter 6 when he talks about the fact, look, we're not talking about wrestling against each other, man. It's principalities and powers. Spiritual fortresses in a dark world. A couple of things that he says that we need to keep in mind. Aaron, come here a minute, will you? But you, yeah, come here, sit, stand, stand right here. A right. couple of things that Paul says in mind. You, no, over here, right here. A <laughs> couple of things that Paul says in mind. What, right in front of that chair. No, no, this way. Right. This way. Right. Turn this way, sideways. Okay. Yeah, this way. All right, now he said stand firm. No, stand firm. He said stand firm because I'm telling you right now, the enemy is... <laughs> He said, the, the, little, the kid I picked on in the first service, he couldn't even get up. I just kept pushing him down. He said, next time, I'm coming for you when he saw me in the cafe. Paul said, look, stand firm in your position in Christ because the enemy is going to push against you every chance he has, and you've got to be able to stand your ground, and you're not going to be able to stand on, on your own, so stand firm in Christ. In your position in the Lord. Secondly, he said, not only understand your position, also understand your protection. I love Peter's phraseology that when he says, look, God has given you everything you'll ever need for life and godliness. Everything you'll ever need. He's not holding anything back. Let's see if they can handle this one on their own. (laughs) Let's see if they can get through this one. Let's see if, no, he says, I'm not holding anything. I'm giving you everything you'll ever need for life and godliness. Take advantage of it. So you've got prayer, you've got the word of God, you've got friends in the family of God, you've got fasting and an opportunity to really understand this is a deep area of my life and I need to really wrestle through this and I've got to spend some time putting some other things away so that I can spend some time with God. It's not like those who celebrate Lent. I'm just going to give this up for the next few weeks so when it's all said and done, I can go back to it again. How many people do you know do that? Oh, this is cool. I can give that up for a few weeks. What's the big deal? And then go right back into it again. No, it's being able to say, look, I don't want to keep doing this. 
I know it's the thing that drags me down. I know it's the thing that hurts my spiritual life. I know it's the thing that keeps pulling me backwards. So here, I want to give you every area of my life. And I want to take advantage of all the resources you've given me. I've listed some of them in your sermon notes this morning so that you can see it. Paul said, look, life is unpredictable. There are times when people just simply, by the fact that I took a sweatband off and gave it to them and they were healed. I mean, that's a pretty good day in ministry if you can sweat on people and they're healed. Paul said, I need you to know that there are also times that I've been beaten almost to the point of death. But what I know is that when I hold on to him and he's my anchor, I'm going to get through it. I'm telling you right now, as much as I know how and as lovingly as I can, you're going to face an enemy. It's not the people that you think it is. You're going to face an enemy who's out to destroy you. So let me give you all the information I possibly can about the warfare that is out there. Let me give you all the resources. Let me identify some of them. Let me tell you what some of them are so that you can know what they are and what he does. And it's all the way through Scripture. And Paul unpacks that in wonderful ways. And he says, I need you to know what's available to you. I'd love for you to take advantage of it because I don't want him to push you around. I don't want him to knock you down. And I certainly don't want him to destroy you. Life is unpredictable. Things happen. The enemy's out to destroy us. And we need to understand that. The final thing that I want to see in this particular section of Scripture is Paul's response to that. Now, and the city's response to that. In, In verse 17 of the same chapter, when... The demonic was confronted. God was doing amazing things. The city life or the environment around them began to change dramatically. And Paul said, look, I want you to know that not only is there an anchor point in your life, not only are we facing it, I want you to know that when God moves in wonderful ways and people respond to that and allow God to do it, incredible things can happen. The ripple effect is amazing. In this particular context, when the enemy was confronted in verse 19 and 17 and before that when the enemy is confronted and, and the truth comes out I have in your sermon notes there are so many parallels there in verse 18 the, 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 the secrets were being declared they were held captive to all of that and Jesus broke through and the truth of Christ confronted the demonic and the truth set them free what you see in this context is the impact of those changes changed an entire city when God moves And we allow him to move. And we allow our lives to be the kind of life that shows even in the middle of all the ups and downs of life, we hold on to him. And even with all the things that the enemy pours onto us, we understand our resources. When you do that, you can have an enormous impact on those who watch your life. It can affect you. It can affect your family. It can affect your church community. It can affect a city. In this particular case, drugs, alcohol, uh, pornography, all this stuff just dried up. Ephesus was a wicked city. I mean, a city filled with witchcraft, witchcraft and all that went with that. And when God moved and people responded to that, they did in those moments with the power of God what every picket in the world would never be able to do. When you make a decision to stand for Christ and to be the kind of individual or person or family that models that behavior in the midst of all those issues of life, you just need to know there's a ripple effect that follows with that and you can have an enormous effect on your family, enormous effect on a church, enormous effect on a community. The sad part, statistically speaking, about what happens in so many places is that those inside and outside the church struggle with the same things and submit to the same behavior. 
So when you talk about pornography, for example, and the people inside the church and the number of people inside the church and outside the church are using it to the same degree, what impact are we ever going to have on that? If people on the inside of a church, on the outside of the church, use drugs or alcohol or some of the things that go with that, what impact will we ever have on society and what difference will we ever make? The Old Testament talks about the sins of a father being carried down to the second and fourth or third and fourth generation. It isn't a predictability except, boy, you messed up. You just need to know from now on, every member of your family for the next four generations is going to be messed up. No, what he's saying, if no one stops it, it will continue. If no one says, whoa, I, I get what my dad did or my mom did or what they didn't do and all those kind of things. And I didn't have all this stuff. But if no one stops this negative pattern of behavior, whatever it may be, it will continue. All he's saying is it will continue to perpetuate if no one says, no, I'm not. For me and my house, Joshua said, we're standing for God. And it's not so that our reputation, boy, the people of Community Alliance Church, man, they don't do this, they don't do that. And it's not that. It's just that people who are in Christ are very different and dramatically different from those outside. And the impact of that can be huge on those who watch us. In this case, an entire city was affected when God remained strong. Now, in the middle of all that, and I have a number of notes to wrap up here with this morning. In the middle of all that, Paul could, I mean, he literally could have been one of the idols. He could have been a god. He could have ran for mayor and won just because of all the things that was going on. And, and, and what I love about Paul is that he remembered, as what I have in your sermon notes, success can be as dangerous as failure. And the danger of losing your focus is just as acute when things go well as when they go bad. David, the king of the Old Testament, fell at the height of his career, not when the bottom fell out. He fell when things were going great, not when he had no hope and nothing to hold on to. Success can be dangerous. We struggle when life goes bad. We doubt. We question our faith. And when things go well, we can forget our need of faith. Dependence is what we feel when things go bad. Independence sometimes is what we feel when things go well. Paul knew that there was no name greater than the power of Jesus. And that to serve that name, as you'll see all the way through the next number of chapters, is what got him through when things go well and when things go bad. Paul said, uh, let me just, let me tell you a number of things that I learned. One is that I've learned to be focused on him and content in him no matter what happens. I've had a lot. I've had a little. I've had things go well. I've had the bottom fall out. And I've learned to be content in him no matter what. That He's always been my focus. Not only when things go well, but even when things go bad. Later down the road, Jesus writes back to this church. The church at Ephesus. He writes them a letter. It's found in the book of Revelation. He watched this church who had so much going on for them. They had seen the power of Christ. They had seen the power of Jesus over the demonic. And the entire city was changed. And later down the road, Jesus writes back to that church at Ephesus and said, What happened? You knew where the power came from. You knew what God was able to do. What, what happened? It seems like you lost your first love. You remember what it felt like when you were head over heels in love with Jesus? And the more he shared with you, the more he told you, the more you submitted, 
and, and you were continuing to grow in that area and you were in love with him, somewhere along the way, you, you've gone backwards. You, you've left what you have. You saw what he did. I'm begging you, before it's too late, return. Go back to where you once were when you were head over heels in love with Jesus and return to that before it's too late. These chapters stand as an unbelievable reminder of how to stay balanced in an unbalanced world here. Can you imagine what the rest of Scripture says about those kinds of things? when you find all this in one. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you can be our center, our our balance in the middle of an unpredictable world, and that we can hold on to you with sometimes every fiber of our being. And so for those that are wrestling with a lot of issues here this morning, some in the uncertainty of life and future and jobs and careers and Uh, spiritual issues that they're wrestling with, I I just ask in these quiet moments that they reflect on what you're saying from your word. Sunday morning, you're going to hear from our new pastor. Came here last night with 900 guys, 570 of them in camo. Walked out of here saying, this was a cultural experience. I said, welcome to Butler, brother. It is an awesome place to pastor. And so next Sunday morning, he's going to share. We're going to fl- close with communion. And you'll get it. I'll be here, but it's just a chance to hear from him and hear what God's laid on his heart. And I don't want you to miss it because God has really blessed us with a guy who loved Jesus. His family loved Jesus. And they love being here. And so uh, I want you to hear from him and hear what God's doing in his life. And then I, I, I will know next Sunday morning for sure, but I think on the 15th, uh, I don't know for sure, but I think on the 15th, you're going to have a treat uh, that you can't believe. Uh, you've heard him once, but I'm hoping he wants to come back. And I'll tell you next Sunday morning if it's for sure. Right now he's in Australia somewhere and haven't been able to get a hold of him. But uh, I'll let you know next Sunday for sure. Family experiences today. So right now, 10 minutes from now, you have kids in first to fourth grade. Go get them. Learn about the, uh, the value of the month. And guess what it is? Patience. I love that one. And you're going to hear a lot about that. There are two families this morning that are here. And I have the privilege of being able to dedicate their babies, single moms who uh, want their babies dedicated. And so we want to pray with them. So if you're here this morning, uh, we're, we want to do that right over here in this corner. If you want to stand with a family, you may not know them, but you just want to stand with them and, and pray with them, we'd love to invite you down to do that. God bless you. Have an amazing day. I look forward to seeing you next week. Come on down here. Uh, if you're here with your family, please come on over. We believe.